You may be seated. If you are new, you're under no compulsion to give. We're glad that you're here. But if you want to give to this ministry, we have offering boxes at the front and the back of the church that are available. If you're watching online, we also have online giving at our website at www.rothcommon.cc. It's actually a very good website we invested in over the past year. It has sermons each week and a lot of good information on that as well. So thank you for being here. And thank you for accepting myself and my wife. Uh, for this past year, we've had a great time growing with you. Um, I want to first, before I begin my message, um, we are a family, and uh, I know we have all kinds of prayer requests. We're a prayer team as well, if that's something you want to get involved in. But, but we, I have a prayer that I want to sh- uh, share with you. Um, Jean White um, is, going, is um, in, in need of a touch, in need of a touch from God's presence right now and. Um, and I, and I know when one, one member of our church hurts, we all hurt. And, and so if we could just pray, if I'm going to pray right now, if you could just believe for God's touch on her life right now, I want to do that for Jean. Heavenly Father, we love our sister. We pray that she would just know and feel your presence right now and surround, surrounding her on all sides, God, that you would take away the pain and that you would give a peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord God, may she know that she is with you, that you never leave her nor forsake her, that you are leading her through right now, God, and she would have that blessed assurance that she is always with you. We thank you for her dear heart and her presence. We thank you for Larry and for the strength that he has been and the brother that he has been to this church. May you come alongside him and give him strength that he didn't even know he had because he has it in you. May you bless this family and send our blessings upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're welcome. We love you, Larry. If you've been here the past few weeks, I've been doing a series on the Ten Commandments for today. I hope you've got a lot out of them. They are very deep and they're very meaty. Um, As I shared with you before, it's natural because the Bible told us that the law, which is part of the Ten Commandments are part of, the law was used as a tutor to bring us to Christ, which means... The law showed us that we couldn't follow it completely because we all have sin. We all have the sinful nature. So when we look at the law, what it's supposed to do is to show us that we're guilty before God, and we all are, to show us that we need Jesus. That's the purpose of the law. Not to give us something that we should try to do, which we still do, we still try to do, but we all fail, as the Bible says, and that's why we all need Jesus. So it's natural when we talk about the law or the Ten Commandments that we do have conviction. Not condemnation. Condemnation pushes you down and says you have no hope. That's what the enemy tries to do to us. But conviction says there's something in you that's off. You've you've missed the mark that God has set for you, and so we need to continue to press into him, ask for forgiveness from God, which he freely gives, and continue to give us strength through the Holy Spirit to live a life righteous for him. So I say that as, as, as we talk about these commandments, if there's a conviction, it's not guilt, It's not shame. It's a conviction that says, I need Jesus. And guess what? We are all in that boat. That's why we're here. Amen? All right. Fourth commandment is my sermon title is called, before I begin, oh, I was was going to release the kids, but they're not here, are they? Oh, okay. Greg made a beautiful slide to release the kids, and uh, um, I'm just probably getting in the habit for next week. Thanks. That's why God gives you grace, because you make mistakes. Uh, some of us make more mistakes than others, I think, but uh, that's okay. Um, 
Don't forget the gift. Fourth commandment. I want to begin in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. God says, speaking to Moses, He says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Every word spoken and therefore precisely placed in Scripture is there for a reason. I say this to draw attention to the first word of this commandment. It's different than any other commandment, but the first word is remember. It's the only commandment that begins in that way, thus making it of special importance. So important, in fact, that right before God finished His entire declaration to Moses, now He took Moses up onto the top of Mount Sinai, and He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. He gave him the whole law. Pop quiz, how many commandments are in the whole law? Six, 613. Okay? So 613. So at the very end of giving all those, he repeated this commandment again. I want to show you. It's in Exodus 31, verse 16. It says, Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. Verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. You see, keeping the fourth commandment is a sign between God and His children, whom we all are. Verse 18, And when He had made an end of speaking with Him on Mount Sinai, He gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Therefore, the fourth commandment, is of such importance that it actually seals the Mosaic Covenant. We see the importance of, in God's mind for us to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Yet the more that time passes, the harder it seems. Now there are other events in world history that we remember by talking about them. Maybe you remember the events of 9-11 by talking about them. We, we, we remember things by talking about them or we bring them to mind with honor. Yet this is not what God intends for us to do on the Sabbath day. God is not telling us to remember the Sabbath by thinking about it or talking about it. He tells us to remember it by intentionally practicing it and experiencing this holy rest. Yet this is far more than a ritual as many people see it today. God didn't say remember to go to church every Sunday. But that is what many Christians believe this commandment essentially means. A Sabbath day is not an option, but rather a necessity of divine importance. If we are to remain strong in our faith and grow in the knowledge and character of God and endure to the end. If we relegate it down to only going to church on Sundays or only watching a service online, which many people don't always do, we miss the main reason for the fourth commandment as well as the entire meaning of the Ten Commandments. Therefore, today we're going to take a deeper look into this absolute requirement of God for those who truly desire to follow Him. To continue our study on the Sabbath day, we examine what God spoke on the subject. So we're going to go back to Exodus, chapter 31, verses 12-13. through 13. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Clearly we see in this passage and in others the connection between the Sabbath and God's intention 
to sanctify his children. Now, we've been talking a little bit about sanctification and what that means. Sanctification is the process by which God intentionally sets us or someone else apart and to bring separation from the world. Sanctification, however, has often been given a subservient role by man, even though it, is, it has been on God's mind and in his plan since the beginning of creation. In fact, sanctification is directly related to a true salvation. Contrary to popular belief, salvation is not a split-second moment where one says a prayer and gets his ticket punched for heaven and is all set for eternity. This is what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Though Christ's work of atonement for our sins was finished at the cross, and we have to receive it, receive this offering by faith, it's important to understand that saying something by faith and keeping the faith are two different things altogether. When people speak and act as if they're all set for eternity, they become complacent, and they lose the fear of God to keep them in check and remain close to God. It is the intention of the world and Satan working through the world to pull us into contentment and complacency and ignorance just to think, well, I'm all set. I can live how I want because Jesus already died for my sins so I can live however I want. That's not the message of God. Knowing and foreseeing all these tactics from the enemy, God created a plan from the beginning to keep us separate from the world that we would keep the faith by continuing in the fear of the Lord. This is, not a, this is not a, I'm afraid of God. This is, I respect God and I want to please God. God's plan was and still is to use intentional sanctification to keep us connected to Him and growing in Him. We see the role that sanctification has played from the very beginning, as well as how even in the first week of creation, God talked about sanctification. God's eternal plan is foreshadowed from the very beginning. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. I know these are familiar verses, but sometimes we miss important truths by reading these familiar verses many times. 2 verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. See, God finished His work of creating the universe within a certain time frame. From the heavens above to the earth below, from everything that moves upon it to man and woman, God finished His work. Comparatively, Jesus came to earth and had a certain time to fulfill his ministry, eventually going to the cross willingly to become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And likewise, after his work at Calvary, he finished his work. Genesis 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. You see, because his creation work was finished, God rested on the seventh day from all that he had done. On a similar note, Jesus rested from his work for salvation, was already secured by his efforts to fulfill God's will on the cross. In fact, Jesus' closing words on the cross were, it is finished, indicating his, uh, his work to pay for our sins was done. Genesis 2, verse 3. And God blessed the, se the seventh day, this is what we often miss, and sanctified it. Because that in it he had rested from all the work which God created and made. 
God blessed the seventh day and He sanctified it because He rested at that point. He honored this day and set it apart from the other six days of the week. Okay? There was a day, and I know some churches and denominations argue, is it Friday, is it Saturday, is it Sunday? We need to have a day that we hallow and separate it and sanctify it to separate it from the other days of the week. That's what what the intention of God was, to separate it. Therefore, the seventh day, listen, was just as important, if not more important, than the previous six days because God instituted the practice of sanctification. Creationists too often get it wrong and call it a six-day creation, thus ignoring the fact of what God did on the seventh day to seal the deal. Likewise, without sanctification, Christians are figuratively stillborn, having said a prayer of salvation but have not sealed the deal through a deliberate setting apart process instituted by God. If there is no initial repentance, if there is not a continued confession before God, then there's no need for sanctification. And the consequence for this choice of ignorance or refusal is too severe not to consider it in its full light. The danger of a repentance-free gospel where people are just persuaded into the kingdom. That's the message that's out there. Hey, come join Jesus. Try on Jesus. You'll love it. Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. Come to Jesus and you'll take away all your troubles. I must be doing something wrong then because I still got lots of troubles. But I know that God will, will never leave me nor forsake me. He will always be with me. He will help me through troubles. He will bring me through trials. But if, if, we, if, but the, if this talk there is a repentance-free gospel, persuading someone about the promises of good life, where only a prayer is needed for entry, that people are convinced that they got saved, but their lives never bear the fruit of that evidence of salvation. Thus they continue to walk in darkness, filling the church. However, the sad truth is, if a prayer does not change one's life dramatically, it does not change their destination either. Let me say that again. You are not fooling God if your life does not match your declaration of being born again. If your prayer to accept Jesus and to come under His Lordship has not caused you to actually do so, or at least be convicted when you're off. Because some of us, because myself, I still got a long way to go. But I'm convicted when I do something wrong. And I go to God and I I confess and I ask God to help me. And I may mess up again tomorrow. But I'm convicted and I go back to God and I ask for Him to help me. But if we no longer lose that conviction, we stop coming back to God and stop trying to become more like Him, then there's something wrong. We want to make sure that that message goes out so that we can continue to become more like Him. If you do not have a growing conviction of sin which causes you to repent quickly, if your secret life is completely different than that which allow, that you allow others in church to see, then don't assume that your eternal destination has changed by a recitation of prayer for salvation. When repentance from dead works is the foundation for salvation, like God talks about, the sanctification is the next step that leads to holiness by separating the believer from the worldly influences. When you go out there, you get dirty. That's our world. And it's even dirtier now than ever before, as you know, if you watch the news. We need God. We need Him to separate us. We're going to fall on our face probably every day, but we could come back to God who lifts us up and renews us and refreshes us and strengthens us. We just have to keep coming back to the Lord. However, where there is no sanctification, what's left is a large group of people who assume they have eternity secure when they do not. Therefore, the Sabbath day, this is where this all comes from. The Sabbath day was used 
to set us apart. And the Sabbath day, as you know, does not exist like it used to be. It was caused to bring us sanctification. It is vital to every Christian who is serious about working out their own salvation. Yet notice that God is not telling us to sanctify the Sabbath day because He has already done so, setting it apart and making it holy. Therefore, He instructs us to keep it holy. Remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. Likewise, the Israelites are not commanded to sanctify the Sabbath, but to conduct themselves in such a way so as not to profane the Sabbath. Let me show you in Scripture. Isaiah 56, verse 2. It says, Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. It is important to see the depth of this commandment, so we're not guilty of surface-only obsession like the Pharisees were accustomed to doing. So often, Jesus had to correct the Pharisees' interpretation of the, law, of the law because they missed the heart of God's message. It's like they had a test and they memorized all the answers, but they couldn't explain what they knew. They had the surface-only interpretation. They didn't understand the true heart of the message. Therefore, Jesus would often say things like this. If you remember this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28. He said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was this surface interpretation that led the Pharisees and the self-righteous teachers of the law to judge others for not following the letter of the law while they themselves missed the whole point of the command. Judgment of others closes the door for God's Spirit to bring conviction to one's own soul. For once there is conviction, then there is an open door to life. Conviction doesn't condemn us. It says, you've been brought before the law, you're guilty, now you need Jesus. If we come to Jesus, we have an open door to life. That's the message of God. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6 says this. This is our memory verse for today. Our sufficiency is from, from God. God meets all our needs. Who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It was the self-righteousness of the Pharisees, priding themselves on how well that they could keep the letter of the law, that actually prevented them, prevented them from understanding the Spirit of the law, or why it was given. In light of their own self-righteousness, they were so busy judging others that they closed the door on themselves to experience the fullness of life that is only found in Jesus Christ. In fact, do you know that most of the issues of, of offense that the Pharisees had with Jesus were because, in their mind, he profaned the Sabbath? If you go back and do a study, we're going to look at a few things, most oftentimes he had exchange with, with the Pharisees was because they thought you profaned, he profaned the Sabbath. Let's look at Mark 3, verse 2. It says that so they, that's speaking of the Pharisees, so they watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Do you see what happens here? The Pharisees themselves are no longer following the Sabbath. Themselves. They are not interested in devoting themselves to God. They are focused on what others are doing instead of focusing on God himself. A holy day of sanctification is not defined by accusing others, 
but rather by finding ourselves guilty before the law of God and then turning to Him in repentance where He guarantees He will forgive us if we come to Him and to strengthen us as we continue our walk in Him. John 5, verses 9 and 10. Here's another example. And immediately the man was made well. Remember when Jesus healed that man who was lame? Immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. How sad is it that these Pharisees were just in the presence of God Himself. They were just in the presence of Jesus. They had just witnessed a true miracle. had just experienced someone's life being restored and his sins being forgiven. And all they could see was a man carrying his bed on the Sabbath. It was like they were watching a completely different movie. And yet the world today is doing the same thing. It is the movie of self and self-righteousness. We're watching a movie, waiting for the return of Jesus. We're seeing how, what we can do to better ourselves and to help others. And so many people are watching this movie of, of, of self and self-righteousness. You see, if you see the world as your gift, and it's just there to give you all you can get out of it, then you're watching a completely different movie than those who see their salvation from God as an eternal gift, as a real gift. That's, that's the gift that we have, not the world. It's Jesus who is our gift. John 9.16 Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. You see, God's intention was to keep the Sabbath from the world. But the Pharisees were keeping the Sabbath from God, away from God. Glorifying in their own efforts of self-righteousness to do it. It was their insistence to keep the Sabbath by the letter of the law that killed their opportunity to see the Lord. How sad is that? You can actually understand how Jesus felt as He came upon Jerusalem and wept over the city of Jerusalem. As they were more, more focused on the letter of the law than Jesus Himself. Jesus actually cried tears because the people didn't get it. They were so stuck at pointing out everyone else's issue that they missed God Himself coming to them. Alright, here's the million dollar question. Do you know why the Jews sought to kill Jesus? Do you really know the reason why? I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. John 5.16 says this, For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill Him. Why? Because He had done these things on the Sabbath. It was why they killed Him, because they thought He had profaned the Sabbath. That shows you the importance of this command. Because the Jews believed that Jesus violated the Sabbath, that is why they sought to kill Him. Yet the bigger question is, whom really did they kill? Through their narrow minds and hearts and blind judgment. Jesus or themselves? Jesus' response to each accusation went to the spirit of the commandment or the reason behind it. Thus showing God's desire to bring His children close to Him. God wants to restore. He wants to reconcile. He wants to bring all of us back together because we serve a loving God. And He gives us chances and He shows us conviction so that we'll come to Him. Because we all need grace. I know I do. I know I need His forgiveness and His restoration. Jeremiah 17, verse 21-22. through 22. Thus says the Lord, 
Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, nor bring in it, or nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of the houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work. But hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. You see, the people who memorize that could tell you exactly what you're doing, but they miss the heart of the message. Jesus came to share the heart of the message. So we move to the spirit of life and the depth of the meaning of this commandment. I'd ask you this. What are you carrying into the gates of His presence on the day of sanctification? Are you carrying God's will this day and bearing a burden for the lost, for those that need help and healing? Or is your focus on your desires and your will? On the Sabbath day, we are to bear a burden for God's will that we would ask Him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we would seek Him by giving Him true and undivided praise and worship. That we would seek His will for our lives by spending time in His sacred Word and meditating on it throughout the day. That we would be sharing the Gospel with others because God's heart is burdened for the lost and those that don't know Him. That's why I've shared with you that we are willing to go through difficult things so that we can become a healthy church to help those who need, God, who need Jesus. There are people who are hurting the world right now. There are people who are part of this church that have been hurt. And we must be about them. Our focus must be about them because they are part of our family. There are people who God has already called to be part of our family. And if we're so focused on ourselves that we miss the people out there right now. That is God's heart. And it has to be our heart. Let's get healed. Let's fix some things. And let's go forward and go after people that need Jesus. And if you look outside, there's a lot of people that need Jesus all over the world. And God has used us to do that. The local church is the hope of the world. Amen? Therefore, if we keep the Sabbath day holy, if our burden matches the Lord's burden, does yours? If not, how will today be different for you when you leave here? Sometimes you get a thought about something that's going on and you think, I'll call that person later or I'll pray later. No, pray right now. It doesn't matter what you say. You could just say, God, help that person. God brings Larry to my mind. God, help Larry. Bless Larry. I don't know what he needs, but God, you know what he needs, so bless him. What, what, if somebody comes on your mind, don't just let it be a passing thought. Just pray. You have no idea what, what something does that may happen. I want to tell this story. I shared it in a men's Bible study a, week, a couple weeks ago. There was a pastor in Africa that was traveling from one village to the next. And he came along the side of the road and he saw a big tree of a couple of monkeys in the tree. And he heard God's voice saying, I want you to give a, I want you to preach to those monkeys in the tree. And the pastor thought, what, what do you mean? I'm, I'm going to the next village to share the gospel. And God said to him, I told you to preach to every living creature. I want you to preach to those monkeys in the tree. And the pastor said, okay. He put, stopped down, put his bike down. He, 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 he pulled out his Bible and he started preaching. He went through the whole salvation message. And he was all passionate. And he gave the whole salvation, the truth, to come to Jesus in this message. And he, and he started to walk away and God said, what are you doing? He said, well, I finished my message and, and, the, and the God said to him, no, you need to invite them to come accept Jesus right now. And he said, I'm not going to invite the monkeys to come out of the tree. And he said, are you going to be obedient or not? And so he said, okay, I'm not going to argue. He said, all right, if you've heard this, if you feel a conviction upon your heart, if you realize you need Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come forward right now and we're going to say a prayer that you can confess your sins before God and you can receive Jesus right now. At that very moment, there was a rustle in the bushes. 
two ladies were hiding in the bush. When they saw him come by, they jumped in the bush and didn't know he was there. And they hid in the bush and they were there for the entire time during that whole message. And when he called them to command to come out, they came out of the bush and they received Jesus right there. You never know who's listening when you're doing something. You never know who's watching when you're doing something. I just talked to some friends who came and I just saw before service from Bay City. I haven't seen them in years. They used to teach together. They heard our message, I think, on the radio. And they just, I'm going to go check this out. In fact, when they heard the message, they thought, wow, God is moving this place. Let's check it out. And then they they didn't even realize it was us. I will tell you that we never know who's watching us. We never know who's listening to us. But people are because that's how God uses us. We have to be willing to go forward and obey God and leave the results up to God. We just have to be obedient to God. Just like when Jim stepped up. He was just being obedient to God. But I'll tell you, it touched our hearts immensely when he did that. In order to make this change and to keep this change of understanding to keep the Sabbath day holy, we need to see the Sabbath not so much as an order to follow, but as a gift to be received and honored. The Sabbath is a gift from God that invites us to draw near to Him. In fact, the first four commandments are all similar, not just because they deal with our relationship with God, but more so because God states what He has given to us. Then He commands us not to defile it or profane that particular gift. You see, the revelation that enables you to not only understand, but also to desire with all your heart to follow these commands is knowing that God first gave us Himself as a gift. And He gave us our our worship of Him as a gift. And He gave us His name as a gift. And He gave us the Sabbath day as a gift. Matthew 22, 36-38. So a man came upon Jesus and he said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Because of our sinful nature, we always try to prioritize and compare and distinguish. We do the same thing with different sins, and then we judge and justify that one sin is better or worse than the other in our eyes, even though all sins separate us from God. But we also do it with commandments, as if one commandment is more important than the other's. Therefore, instead of choosing just one, Jesus summarizes all the Ten Commandments into two commands. Beginning with the first four, Jesus brings them all together, stating that the way we fulfill all of them is by loving the Lord God with all of our heart and soul and mind. Yet the emphasis is on the word all, which can only be done through a continual process of sanctification. We all need God every single day. We need to choose to put on the Lord Jesus Christ every single day because we need His grace and His strength and His forgiveness. And the way that we know that we are growing in the Lord and that we are being open to sanctification is by remembering each day that we have been given, we have been given perfect gifts from God. And loving Him in return is the only way to keep not ourselves, but the gifts perfect. You see, the fourth commandment teaches us that the Ten Commandments are not a list to be read. They are to cause us to remember what God has already given us as perfect gifts. Then He calls us to keep these gifts untainted and holy and separated from the world and its influences. As a review, the first commandment, God gives us the gift of Himself as the one and only true God. 
that he commands us not to profane that by calling or pleading our allegiance to someone or something else as a God. The second commandment, he gives us the gift of true worship. And then he commands us not to profane our worship of him by making idols a substitute for our focal point. For God commands that our worship should be exercised through faith and not by the power of imagination. In the third commandment we talked about last week, he gave us the gift of his name. And there's power in the name. And then he commands us not to profane the name of the Lord, for in his name resides power. And in the fourth commandment, as we've talked about today, he gives us purpose and a process to become more like him. Sanctification. Then he commands us not to profane the Sabbath day, for it is the means by which God uses to sanctify us, to make us become more like him. And it's a day-by-day, little-by-little process as we submit to him. The Lord gives it to us as holy, and he asks us to keep it holy. With this in mind, I ask you this question. When he returns, because Jesus is coming back again, but when he returns, what will the Sabbath day look like when we give it back to him? Will he even be able to recognize it? It is this perspective that we must have if we are willing to fulfill this commandment. God gave us a Sabbath day not to just do with it as we please, but to keep it holy. Do you remember the days long ago when everything was closed on Sunday? When all the stores were closed on Sunday and the gas stations and you had no choice but to just rest? And now there's sports events, there's kids' sports, there's kids' practices, there's stores, everything's open. It didn't always used to be like that. And in my lifetime, it's yours as well. What will it look like when he comes back? We must protect it. We must preserve it and honor it and allow God to sanctify us and set us apart from the world. When God instituted the Sabbath, He commanded not only the Israelites to cease from all their labors, but He also prohibited the work of their servants and their beasts or animals. This would constitute a nationwide shutdown, which would make it more difficult for any who might be tempted to overlook this commandment. It made it easier for us because the government, imagine this, the government actually made it easier for us to follow God. Yes. Things have changed. Yes. They have. Will God, will God be able to recognize the Sabbath day when He returns? He will if He sees that we have received this day as a gift unto ourselves to sanctify us and separate us from the world. Let me make this clear. Jesus is not coming back looking for a day. He is looking for us the bride of Christ, who has made herself ready through submitting herself to God's sanctification process and is now adorned with beauty and His righteousness by the forgiveness of our sins, being made free through His grace and has been enraptured by His perfect love. God desires to restore us. God desires to forgive us. He wants to take us out of the ashes and into His glory, but it's a continual day by day to come before God and say, God, I messed up. God, I messed up. I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. I need your restoration. I need more of you each and every day. And when you get past that point, if you don't care if, you, if you've done it all the time, you just because you want more of God, then you are closer to that sanctification process that God has for you. The Word of God says this, keep this in mind, that He is faithful to complete the work that He began in you until the day of Jesus Christ. If you commit to Him, God will complete the process in you. It's not up to you. It's God, but we have to continue to submit to Him. 
And then God gets all the glory. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, that you don't judge us right now, but you invite us to come to you. Lord God, you know us. You know where we are broken. You know where we are hurting. You know where we are sad. You know where we are angry. You know where we are frustrated or unfulfilled. And yet you are the answer. Your word says that you are the name above every name. And so we come to you right now, God, because we are convicted. We're not going to stay in guilt or shame or condemnation. We're going to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. We declare that part of your word as truth over our lives. We come to you right now. Forgive us for not fully understanding and practicing and understanding the importance of the Sabbath. Give us the rest of our works. Help us to be sanctified or separate from the world so that we can glory you in all we do and that we can be that healing vessel that the world needs right now. May you bless this church. May your hand be upon this church and our people and the body of Christ around the world. May you bless every single church around the world that lifts up the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this time. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.